0: You are listening to Bossable Podcast. Before we get to today's episode, I'd like to tell you about Panostaya. Panostaya is an investment company that buys majority stakes in Finnish SMEs and then works together with the leaders to develop the company to the next level. They'll help the company build a strategy for growth and then provide active support, tools, and systems to make that strategy happen. The leaders of the companies Panostaya is involved with form a community. I actually did a talk at one of their community events, and looking at the agenda, I kind of wish that I could have attended instead. Because the community events are focused around peer-to-peer discussions, but with additional support from external coaches, speakers, and facilitators. If you're the owner of a Finnish SME and want to change the trajectory of your business, contact Panostaja. Go to P-A-N-O-S-T-A-J-A dot f-i slash e-n and start growing. Welcome back to Bossable Podcast. This is the beginning of season 7 and I'm your host Sami Honkonen. During the season break I learned from a LinkedIn notification that I've been doing Bossable Podcast for 3 years now and this is episode number 56. Now that is a lot of interviews. Finding the time to do the podcast is not always easy, because I have a family, I have a growing business, I have hobbies that I don't want to drop, so my schedules are pretty tight. But in the end, what keeps me going is the learning. I try to pick guests who inspire me and whose work fascinates me, so I try to pick people who I want to learn from. And an interview creates a deadline for me to actually delve deeper into their work so we can have a fruitful discussion. During the recording, I do my best to listen and pay attention. And then listening to the final version of the episode reinforces some of the main insights from the discussions. My sincere hope is that these episodes are also useful to you. I hope you learn from them as much as I do and still feel that the discussions are entertaining. If you want to help me with the podcast, your company can sponsor the episodes. Listeners of Bossable Podcasts are fine people, and you will want them to hear your message. So if you're interested, drop me an email at sami at bossablepodcast.com. If sponsoring is not an option for you, sharing the episodes and what you've learned from them on social media is highly appreciated. Also, reviews on iTunes are very helpful. Now, let's get this episode started. My first guest is Eva Vilkoma. She studies decision-making. She's a doctor of technology and an assistant professor at the Alde University School of Business. We talk about how companies can develop mathematical models to support their decision-making. I found it interesting how much she emphasizes the importance of co-creation when building the decision support models. If people are not involved in designing the models, And if they don't understand the assumptions that go into the model, the results are not going to be great. Hope you like the episode and I hope you stay with us for the whole season. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to make sure you catch all the upcoming episodes. Enjoy the interview.
1: I am an assistant professor of management science at the Department of Information and Service Management at the University School of Business. Sorry wow. for the long title.
0: That's a very long title. Uh, that's, that's actually like you, you need to really think about getting that right.
1: I know. I was kind of like thinking about that throughout the same title out loud.
0: Yeah. So uh, what does that uh, more specifically mean? What do you what do you do?
1: What I do is I develop and apply mathematical models to support decision-making in different kinds of contexts. So lately I've been mostly focusing on application areas in strategy development and healthcare decision-making.
0: Wow. So you basically, you study decision-making, is that right?
1: Yes. And not really like how people make decisions, because that's another field. Mm -hmm. More like I try to develop tools for them to make better decisions.
0: Okay, so uh, basically what you're kind of hoping to create is that when we have a decision that we need to make, we can form a formula out of that decision in a way?
1: Yeah, basically. <laughs> and and formula. Okay. Yeah, formula sounds sort of like you put something in and then something magical pops <laughs> out. <laughs> How I see it is that the modeling process in itself is already useful. So I don't want to kind of go into the company and ask some questions and then go to the lab and do something and come <laughs> back with this magical formula. But rather, I would like to keep all the stakeholders and parties involved in the model development process so that kind of the modeling process in itself is a creation of a shared problem understanding in a way.
0: Okay. Before we delve deeper into that topic, let's talk a little more about your background. So what led you here? What's your path to this title of yours? <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: I've, I've always been super interested in mathematics. So I studied uh, engineering, physics and mathematics at Helsinki University of Technology. And then I majored in systems and operations research,
0: ah. which doesn't
1: sort of, sort of sound like anything familiar to anyone, but it's basically applied mathematics. Okay. Yep. And there I... I uh, Stayed until my master's thesis, then I continued, yeah. and then I stayed there still as a postdoc, and then a couple of years ago, I became an assistant professor at the Business School of all.:
0: Okay, so you have a, like you've been studying basically math for, for yes. quite a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, has your relationship to uh, mathematics changed over the years?
1: During my first years of studies, I was kind of more interested in the theoretical parts of mathematics. But then maybe when I started doing my major, then I became more interested in applied mathematics, obviously. And nowadays, I've realized that that's really the key thing to to get people involved in the modeling process. If you want to support decision making, it cannot be theoretical. I mean, the theory has to be there, So that the decision recommendations that the model produces are defensible and rigorous. But the key part is like, how do you get people to accept the decision recommendations? They won't if they don't understand the model at all. They just won't. And usually you also need to elicit parameters for your model. And sometimes that can be databased. But usually that also involves asking questions from people about their preferences or about their views or about their risk attitudes. And if you ask like weird questions that are super theoretical, then no one's going to be able to answer them. And even if they do, they won't believe anything that comes out of that information. So that to me right now is maybe the most intriguing part.
0: But that's very interesting. So because mathematics is considered a very exact science, hmm. whereas like when you start involving people, it, it stops being so exact because people are not so exact.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it really is the most interesting part. And what you can do from a theoretical and exact point of view if you is that you can create models that, for instance, admit incomplete information. And by that, I mean that I were to ask you for instance so what's the probability that it will rain tomorrow and I would ask you to say that you need to give me a specific percentage for that probability then you would be like oh I'm not a <laughs> like a weather person so how would I know but then if I would ask you if I were to ask you like is it more likely that it will rain than that it won't rain then that's an easier question for you to answer maybe And in some situations, even with this kind of incomplete information where you just give rankings for different probabilities or these kinds of what is more likely to happen, this or that, you can still use these nice theoretical models to generate decision recommendations that are compatible with all kinds of probabilities that satisfy the statement that you just made about those probabilities. Those kinds of decision recommendations tend to be sort of they create more trust in the decision-makers. So I see that there are so many things that you can do theory-wise that are pleasing to people. So that's the kind of the, the golden thing, I think, about mathematical decision models.
0: Okay, let's start delving into the, uh, to the topic of decision-making and modeling decision-making. So can you walk through an example of how would we model decision-making mathematically?
1: Let's take the strategy example. So your company is now thinking about renewing its strategy, for instance. So when you do strategy, what you want to do is you don't want to try to sort of forecast what the future is going to look like and then kind of prepare for that one probable future. You might want to, for instance, generate different kinds of scenarios for the future. So sometimes people just come up with these random stories and that might be fine. But on the other hand, you could use tools such as uh, thinking about the key drivers of uncertainty in the future, if they have to do with uh, the economical situation, politics, uh, customers' needs in the future, things like that. So you might take these different uncertainty factors and assign uh, different kinds of outcome levels to these uncertainty factors. For instance, you could say that the economy is going up or it's going down or it's like continuing as it is. So there you have sort of three levels of uncertainty. Then you could combine these uncertainty levels with one another and end up with different combinations that would be your sort of models for your different scenarios. So that would be sort of one point. Then you would also need to be making some decisions. So the first thing that you would want to do is kind of think about what you want, so not jump right into alternatives, but rather say, like, what are my objectives? What does my company want to do? Usually they might have something to do with creating revenue, but maybe something else too, so not just money. Maybe you want to really be aligned with the customer's needs in the future to be able to be generating revenue in the future as well. So you might have these different kinds of objectives that you want to consider, Then you could go uh, into generating different strategic alternatives, so courses of action that you should take. And you might even, even give like number values of how well this action performs in this scenario with respect to this and this objective. And then you kind of have your mathematical model already. Then just using some calculations, you might be able to find a nice combination of your strategic actions, which would then be kind of a model for your future strategy.
0: So would one way of thinking about this uh, be that building that model is simply a way of stating explicitly what are the things that we think have an impact on the, the future of our company?
1: Exactly. That's exactly how it is. So it really makes these assumptions that we sometimes make implicitly it makes them explicit, and that that way, if you have a group of people, it really facilitates the discussion of what are our priorities as a company and what do we see as the key uncertainties in our operational environment, and how we together could kind of counter the threats or seize the opportunities produced by these uncertainties
0: yeah and and I think one of the issues that i kind of how when I think about having a mathematical model for decision making is that people don't really look at uh, the formula or the model itself they only look at the end results and when they do that they don't really know what's inside the model and they have no understanding of like all the different assumptions that we had to make to get to that end result and There's a spreadsheet or something that they see and they see an exact number and they're like, "Okay, this is really good because there's there must be a lot of really good math behind this (laughs) and this must be very trustworthy. Do, Do you see this problem?
1: Yeah, I usually see sort of the other way around that if that happens, if you have a crisp number that's given to you, you usually kind of for the reasons that you just stated that if you don't understand what's behind it, then you probably don't sort of trust the number that that much so what would be ideal is that you would have all the people who are implementing the decisions involved in the modeling process so that everyone would understand at least to a satisfactory extent what's going on another thing is that you should not use super super complicated models that nobody can understand so you should be able to kind of explain even the mathematics behind your model to the decision makers. I mean, they don't have to be able to carry out all the computations or write the code themselves, obviously not. Who has time for that? And I would be losing my job <laughs> if everyone could do it. <laughs> but, uh, but kind of to have them understand it and be involved in generating the model, that that is so important from the point of view of implementation.
0: This reminds me of a situation uh, way back when, and when me and my wife were about to rent an apartment, and we actually had two options that we we liked, uh, but for very different reasons. Mm. And we were having really hard time making that decision because we could like we could do either, we could decide either, uh, and we ended up doing this list because it was such a hard decision for us that we ended up actually doing a list of like all the different aspects of an apartment that we value and then giving points for like for both of the options we went through all of these different kind of categories and gave them points and then we kind of summed up the points uh, to to see which option would would be better and what's kind of interesting about that is that let's say that option a won but still we chose option b does yeah. this ever happen? <laughs>
1: sure. I mean, it sounds like if you when you sum those points up, you kind of give equal weights to all the aspects implicitly, right? So yeah. in reality, yeah. basically... You should also do weights yeah, for that. Yeah. yeah. So that might explain it. If, if. But then you were, as I'm hearing, you were able to kind of agree on the yep. other option yep. in the end.
0: Yeah, that's, that's true. I, I still think that, to me, that's one of the examples of of the process being very useful and the end result not so much. (laughs)
1: Yeah, (laughs) but it's good that like even the, the fact that you were able to agree on the aspects to be included on the list because it might happen that one of you wanted to include some aspect on the list and the other one felt that it was totally irrelevant and that would have probably been a problem maybe
0: actually now that i think more about it we actually did have different points like we we had our own like column where like we could have like i could have my point and my wife could have her point Were there There were substantial (laughs) differences uh but then again i mean we summed them out and and, and, Mm. and so on but actually i think that was also like a great way of avoiding conflict in that situation because if we had to agree on a single like same number for each of those categories I don't like we would have probably ended up fighting
1: <laughs> yeah yeah and it, like it doesn't matter in the end like if when you get to give your own points you get the sense that you're contributing to the model but it might not have an effect uh, on the decision recommendation yeah. in the end so then it's fine so Basically, what you did is you kind of use the principles of decision analysis, which is to kind of take a major problem and divide it into smaller parts that are easier to analyze. So you did this aspect-specific analysis instead of trying to get to a holistic evaluation of each alternative. So it makes the problem a bit easier for you, and it might also kind of make you understand... Uh, the different characteristics of these options a little bit better and that might even change your mind about your initial preference. The yep, process.
0: Yep. So going back to the context of decision making in companies, basically this could be a very simple of uh, version of, of what, what, what you do, for example, that we could have a decision, like we have options A and B, and we yep. try to separate like all the different aspects that are related to those options. We try to give them weights, we try to give them some kind of points Yes. and then sum them up. And that's a simple model for, for a decision. Yes,
1: that's a simple multi-criteria decision analysis model. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's a fancy name for it. I'm, yeah. I'm going to like listen to that several times, <laughs> learn to remember it, and then I'll use it and, and seem very smart in a conversation. <laughs> yeah, it is, it
1: is actually a very nice, good model. So it, the only thing that's missing there, basically, is the modeling of uncertainties and risk attitudes. But otherwise, it's perfectly fine.
0: Yep, yep, great. Actually, a lot of companies already use some kind of spreadsheets where they look at the potential risks and the potential mm. profits and, and potential return on investment and, and so on. What do you see are the biggest kind of obstacles or the the missing pieces from those spreadsheets most often?
1: First of all, the thing that usually there might be some other objectives besides returns and, and and monitor risks. So if you kind of just stick to those kinds of models, you probably are focusing too much on short term decisions, I would say. And especially on the strategic level, then it doesn't really... That's more of a decision-making problem for the operational level, I think. So once you go one level ahead or, or upwards, you kind of need to take other objectives into account as well. And the other thing is that if you do this sort of, this is my return and this is the sort of probability distribution around the expected return... What you're basically doing is forecasting. So you're not taking into account the fact that the world might go into totally different directions. So you might not have this nice nice uh, one-peaked distribution for your profits, but you might have something like these two totally different universes in which things would go totally differently. And then your model wouldn't account for that at all.
0: Yeah, and and that's one of the things that's also that also comes to mind is that these spreadsheets that you usually build—they're looking at financial figures most mm. of the time, and like you said, there can be a lot of different objectives, like like that we want our people to have a good time doing this, yeah. or we want want our company to be s- building sustainable products. And if I'm understanding you correctly, is that on top of having those financial figures in our model, we should try to create numbers for for the sustainability or for like, for, for the importance of people having a good time, and then we could have those in the same model. Because yeah. what often often happens is that when we don't have them in the model, we just ignore them in the decision making.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. Like, it's always easiest to include things in your model that are easy to measure. Exactly. So you kind of naturally take into account all the financial measures. Because then when you start to quantify things such as uh, employee satisfaction or sustainability or things like that, it's trickier. But you can do it. There are methods so I would encourage all the companies to kind of venture out of the financial box and kind of take other issues into consideration as well.
0: Yeah, and I, I kind of think that it's it's really important to uh, look at it from the perspective of, okay, it's it's kind of human beings are imprecise. And if we like... If we come up with, let's say that we come up with some numbers that we agree on on like the weights of the different objectives that are not quantifiable that then that that's basically us making up numbers that we agree on, yeah, even though we are making up those weights and those numbers, I think it's most often it's still better than not having them included in the model at all,
1: definitely. And then when you make those statements about the weights you're making statements that you can discuss exactly because otherwise you're just implicitly assuming some numbers and never bringing them to the table to be discussed
0: yes totally agreed So how should companies start doing this? Uh, if they're using spreadsheets now, what would be an easy way to get started with, with having all also these not so easily quantifiable uh, things taken into consideration in the models?
1: The first step would be to agree on these aspects or criteria or objectives, attributes, the they have multiple names <laughs> <laughs> yep. uh, like what does our company value and it might be different on different levels of decision making so you might not like for day-to-day decisions you might be mostly interested in the monetary aspects and that's fine but then when you're doing this longer term decisions then other factors might come into play and then maybe you could adjust your excel sheets such, such that you would have a different column for each of these objectives, so not just the monetary ones. And then you might have measurement scales for your other objectives that are not directly quantifiable. So you might say that, for instance, uh, this project, how well is it aligned with our customers' needs? You might say, not well at all, pretty well. So you might have these sort of verbal descriptions about the Sort of attainment levels of those different projects on the different attributes, so it might make it easier for the uh, for the people who are responsible for filling out the Excel to kind of answer these questions.
0: How does the process work? Like, what do you do first, or and and what do you do then <laughs> when when you're when you're kind of starting a new engagement? Uh,
1: that process usually gets started by sort of talking to. Some group of experts about usually what we begin with is is the objectives and what they want to do, what they what is the thing that they need to decide, decide on. And then then what we usually need is sort of some information about the relative importance of these uh, objectives that they have. so what we earlier referred to as weights, asking questions about that. Then uh, there's the art of generating alternatives. That's more of a even like, a, that's not even a mathematics problem. So so that's that's kind of like how to get people excited and thinking out of the box. And it's very sort of not not mathematics at all. But thankfully I've had good doctoral students coming from other fields and helping, <laughs> helping me in this respect to facilitate these processes. And then it's just what I really have been sort of trying to do well in the past couple of years is is to be able to formulate questions for my experts that they would be able to answer sort of in a short amount of time, because these people, they don't have time. They can't sit for weeks answering my weird parameter questions. (laughs) So these questions need to be easy. And these are usually related to uh, evaluating these courses of action or decision alternatives on these different objectives, maybe in different scenarios.
0: And then you end up generating your first draft of a model. Uh, how's that revised or how, how do you get feedback on that first, first model?
1: So usually I try to create those models uh, with using techniques such as incomplete information so that it doesn't result in just one decision recommendation so it usually results in in sort of like this is what you should definitely be doing this is what you should not be doing and then there are things in between So usually if the model is sort of nicely specified and everyone's been involved in it, it doesn't need a lot of revision at this point anymore. So usually I just go in, I I present the decision recommendations, and then they kind of take it from there. And uh, if they've been involved in the process, the validation actually happens throughout building the model. So like we've had situations in which it turns out that we started with three objectives... But then kind of the third one started feeling irrelevant in the middle. So we just dropped it. So even before I get to computing decision recommendations, then this discussion has been ongoing for for a while already.
0: Is there a continuous model for these where you could have a model and you kind of keep adjusting it as the world moves forward? So you keep adjusting the weights. You might adjust some of the parameters that go into the model and then you get better recommendations as you learn more about the world.
1: Yes, and that's actually, for instance, the strategy context. Again, how it usually is done is that everyone is kind of gathering together for a couple of days, and it's a huge ordeal. And then it might be better to have it kind of in the background, ongoing at all times. So what I would be interested in looking at is to have some sort of a machine learning algorithm or some something kind of gathering data at all times and for instance setting up an alarm or something but if it turns out that hey it looks like the world is going to this direction so that the scenario probabilities for instance that you gave earlier about what the future will look like are not sort of valid anymore or you should adjust them in some way and this might have a a big impact on on how you should update the, your strategy because it was tailored to some other assumptions about what the future would look like.
0: Wow, that's that would be really interesting. I mean, there could be data points that come from the like the uncertainties, the like the the economy, the politics, and so yeah. on. You could have sources of data for that. Then you could have sources of data that are like from the from the uh, financial figures of the company that you get on a like a weekly or a monthly basis, and those those going to the model. Then you could have something where you like every week you ask five questions from a set group of people where they respond like really simple questions where they give like a one or five answer and then you input those into the model and then you get a result of whether we should try to change our strategy or not.
1: Exactly. And I'm glad that you mentioned the human input as well, because every time you use just data, it's kind of backward looking. But if you have sort of people who are also contributing their expert judgment into this process, then that might generate a really nice data set for the updating process of the models.
0: Wow, so when can I have this?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Once I get a doctoral student recruited. (laughs)
0: Because seriously, that sounds really uh, really interesting because... Uh taking all those different aspects into consideration and having a kind of a very lightweight way of doing it, what I mean lightweight is that most of the, the data you get from sources that are external and then the kind of the human input would be there, but it would be fairly easily. You could get it fairly easily and would it wouldn't require like a day per week f- exactly. for you to get yeah. it.
1: And it would be like you said, if it was the thing that you do every week, sort of it becomes routine thing for you. It would also spread the culture of modeling and being involved in the sort of ongoing strategy adjustment process throughout the organization. And that might kind of create ownership, like this feeling of ownership of implementing the strategy among the people who actually have to do the implementation.
0: What I'm still kind of thinking is the fact that that we don't just keep looking at the like the decision uh, recommendations but we also look at like what are the assumptions that we have in the model and how can we learn more about them
1: there was this one one time where sort of we asked for this scenario probability information individually so that we didn't want the group to kind of discuss it first and then come up with a shared sort of ranking for the probabilities but rather they did it separately so that everyone's like own view came to be and what we saw is that there was a division among the groups so that one group kind of thought that things would go on as usual and it was sort of a wishful thinking kind of situation going on and then the other group, who which consisted of different like people with different kinds of uh, tasks in the organization, they were kind of looking more forward and saying that no, actually, what's going to happen is that Google and Apple and Amazon are going to come in and t- take over our businesses, which at least at the time seemed to be really the most likely scenario. And they discussed, and uh, they like the wishful thinker group ended up agreeing with this forward-looking group so that was fine but afterwards I was like and actually someone suggested it that I should have computed the decision recommendations based on this wishful thinking information as well to kind of really make it explicit like if we had used this wishful thinking information that you initially provided, like fifty percent of you, then how would that have affected the decision recommendations? Because that is an, it's an interesting question. I didn't have time to do it at the time, but maybe I should do it now and and kind of just like see see what the impact would have been because as you said, the decision recommendations, they are just products of of the underlying assumptions both on the structure of the model, but also on all of the parameters and all the rankings and weightings and everything that you give.
0: Oh, well, this is a really, really fascinating topic. <laughs> I'm going to try to pick up some of this for for our company too. <laughs> it's really awesome. So closing off, what do you feel are the biggest benefits that companies can get from starting to do this decision modeling?
1: Obviously, once you get Better decision recommendations, more high quality decision recommendations, which I think you do when you when you use these models. You probably, as a company, you are able to lower your costs and get more revenue, <laughs> and these boring things like that. So that's kind of the first thing um, that comes to mind. But then even more importantly, you kind of like, if you are able to get people involved in these modeling processes then I think just this generation of sh- a shared understanding of what the objectives of your company are, what are your options in terms of acting upon these objectives, what kinds of certain uncertainties there are in your operational environment. All of this generation of this understanding really contributes to the success of your company and the feeling of ownership that people have about the decision-making making processes and decisions made at the company so that's a huge benefit i think and just like well i'm an academic so whenever you make decisions based on evidence and rigorous models then that cannot be a bad thing (laughs) (laughs) great
0: thanks a lot for your time thank you Thank you for listening. And that is the kickoff for the new season. Next episode coming up in two weeks. Don't forget to share this episode on social media. Until next time, bye.